Today on CityCast Salt Lake, lead producer Emily Means joins me to round up the news of the week. It's Friday, July 22nd, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Hi, Emily. Happy Friday. Hi, Ali. I am glad it's Friday. It's been a week. Me too. It has been a week. You and I are going to get into the top stories this week in Salt Lake for anyone who might not have responded to a Google alert or picked up their phone this week. We've got you. We're going to run down what went down in our city this week briefly. And as always, I promise we will end in a happy place. But we've got some things to talk about before we get there. It's a promise to you and a promise to ourselves, Allie, right? That's right. That's right. Okay, let's start with the darkest corner of the news cycle this week, which is some reporting from Courtney Tanner at the Salt Lake Tribune, who has been on this beat of the University of Utah. In February, a 19-year-old international student Jifan Dong was killed by her boyfriend. It was a domestic violence homicide at a Salt Lake City motel. He has been charged with her death and is currently in jail. The update to this story that we got this week is basically that, according to some reporting, her death could have been prevented. Mm -hmm. Allie, the story makes me so mad. But at the same time, I'm not surprised. And then that makes me more mad that I'm not Mm -hmm. surprised because this is another example of how the University of Utah has failed its students and its community. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of the disclosures, I am a U of U alum. Mm -hmm. I was employed by the university. I was even a resident advisor in the dorms during my time at the U. (laughs) And I don't understand why anyone would choose to send their child to this school at this point. Wow. Yeah. Just saying, just saying, because we see what happened with this case with Jifan Dong, and there are so many similarities between how the U mishandled her case and how they mishandled student athlete Lauren McCluskey, who... Yeah died, was killed at the U campus uh, in 2018. Mm-hmm. And it's deeply upsetting. Um, yeah, in both cases, you could argue that these deaths could have been prevented. So mm-hmm. those are my mm-hmm. feelings, my very raw feelings, Allie. Yeah, I think that's where a, a lot of people's heads are at right now. It feels like this keeps happening. And the clearest pattern between these two cases is... These are cases of domestic abuse. These are both cases where young women reported that they did not feel safe. And for a variety of reasons, that communication did not make its way to an intervention. And they ended up dead. A lot of the conversation as well, unique to Jifan's case, is, you know, related to international students, which is it's often a very isolating experience to arrive on a campus as an international student. They're often students of color. Are they properly resourced? Are they properly supported? Are they heard during their time at a place like the University of Utah? These are all questions that are being raised by, of course, local activist organizations like Unsafe U, 
the student unions. And we are not going to dive too deep into this on today's show because actually Courtney Tanner of the Salt Lake Tribune, who has been doing some incredible reporting on this, relentless reporting on this, is going to be on our show next week to talk more about it. But it really does feel like the top story in our city this week, and we cannot mention it. It's absolutely heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And um, yeah, quick shout out to Courtney Tanner, who's a good friend of mine. We actually were students at the U together. We worked at the student newspaper. And mm. I think it can't be overstated how important Courtney's reporting on these issues has been. None of this mm-hmm. would have come to light without Courtney's reporting. And the U made it very difficult for her to get these records um, that Mm. outlined all of their incompetencies. So another reason to support local journalism, I guess. Yeah, I'll say it. Subscribe to the Salt Lake Tribune. (laughs) That's a great place to start. That's a great place to start, right? This work is expensive and funding it is on us as community members. Okay. I am sort of chuckling because the last time we recorded this show, I used the same transition, which is, let us turn to the Great Salt Lake. (laughs) I'm sure no one will notice. (laughs) I have a feeling we're going to say it every week for the rest of our lives. Yeah, that's fair. The Great Salt Lake, the drought, it's all one story, it feels like at this point. Let's throw the Colorado River in there, too, being at a dangerous low This week, we heard from Governor Spencer Cox. He talked to KSL-TV about the situation at the Great Salt Lake and the drought in Utah. And we have access to a little bit of this audio because we are members of the Great Salt Lake News Collaborative, which I have to give a shout out to. Basically, every news outlet in this valley is coming together to report on solutions to the lake and the situation at the lake. We're proud to be members of that collab. And here's what the governor had to say. I think it is a fair criticism that we haven't been as effective as we should have been in the past when it comes to conserving water and uh, and specifically the Great Salt Lake. So I think we, we should be open to criticism and that means we can do better. So, Allie, I, I think this is really funny because it was just like a couple of weeks ago that we were ragging on Governor Cox for a petty Twitter thread he had about mm-hmm. about how he he felt that national media hadn't been very fair in their criticism of how Utah has handled its drought and its crisis at the Great Salt Lake. Um, mm-hmm. But it seems like he might might be coming around to the idea mm-hmm. that Utah responded to this so 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 late. Yeah. And again, it's it's good that we are recognizing the urgency of the situation now, that we're mm-hmm. putting funding towards solutions. But I don't know, I just really appreciate a little bit of humility from our yeah. elected officials when it comes to this issue. Yeah, this was a much more gubernatorial response. It It also, I will say, is a little bit of like a notes app apology for wasting water. And I think what we're hearing from activists in the community, including the Save Our Great Salt Lake Coalition, Friends of the Great Salt Lake, is we know the problem. We continue to have these press conferences. We continue to have these discussions about researching the problem, funding research into the problem, assessing the problem. And it does feel like for a lot of people in our city, we're looking around like, well, we kind of know the problem, right? Like someone actually wrote an op-ed in the Tribune this week that was like, 
we know the problem. Do we need $10 million to, to look at the problem? It seems like we should be really having difficult conversation. Right. And confessing that our water use hasn't been ideal is, I would say, the first step. The first step towards healing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And well, I mean, let's just uh, let's just be clear. This is something that has been elevated to a national conversation, not just Mm -hmm. on John Oliver or with The New York Times reporting, um, but we're seeing Senator Mitt Romney and uh, our Republican representatives in Congress, which is all of them. I don't know why I made that (laughs) clarification, but Chris Stewart and Burgess Owens, um, they're all signing on to this bill to put some federal resources towards finding solutions to the Great Salt Lake. And I mean, really, the funniest thing to me was like this idea that we need to keep researching the problem. And maybe that's because I'm not a scientist. Maybe scientists are like more research, more better. But Mm -hmm. it feels pretty obvious what the problem is at this point. And, you know, we can pour oodles of dollars into studying this, or we can just pour all that money into doing something about it. And I think that's what's frustrating for a lot of us who are already living with the impacts of uh, this drying and dying lake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's like a malaise to it. Like for a lot of people, like I will say for me personally, I feel like if I looked up bureaucracy in an encyclopedia next to it would just be the words, let's form a committee. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that's like part of why this feels like these exhausting, relentless attempts and efforts to form these committees to study this things. For fans of uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian, it's like the Judean Papal's front sort of skit over and over again. You know, the response has been kind of tepid, I think, from Salt Lakers in particular to this funding. And personally, like I have a hard time being super impressed when Utah throws money at a problem because we have a $1.4 billion surplus. So like there is so much money in this state to throw at committees. To me, that is always going to be less impressive than having difficult conversations, setting boundaries, creating restrictions, like actually developing a framework for solving this problem. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about this forever, Allie. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. That's right. So strap in, folks. Um, Strap in. Speaking of studies and studying problems that we already know exist, um, (laughs) Salt Lake City recently wrapped up the first phase of its Thriving in Place study, which is its anti-displacement analysis. We all know that the rent is too damn high. It's too hard to buy a home. There's Mm -hmm. nowhere else to live if you get displaced from your home. And that's what they found in this study as well. So just a couple of highlights. Uh, Displacements in Salt Lake City is getting worse. Mm -hmm. More people being displaced. And it's something that people are really concerned about. This was Mm -hmm. really interesting to me, Allie. There are no more affordable neighborhoods in Salt Lake City where lower income residents can move after they've been displaced. And this was interesting to me because the the people who did the analysis left a little note that this is a particularly striking finding, something that we've not seen before in our work around the country. <sighs> Terrifying, right? This is yeah. this is like apparently a uniquely Salt Lake problem and Yikes. that's very scary to me. That is 
So yeah, lots of good data and information here. But the thing is, Allie, is that you could ask anyone, anyone living in Salt Lake, if displacement is a problem, and they would say, uh, yeah, I, I could tell you that you probably wouldn't have needed to do this study. Mm -hmm. So those are my feelings. Yeah. I mean, if I had to, you know, make a case for the study or the committee, it would just be that, well, now we've got this document that we can march up to the hill, that we can march around the state to all of the various entities that can determine how funding is distributed to solve problems, be that, you know, the Utah legislature, the Salt Lake County Council, the Salt Lake City Council, and say, well, we did it. We got the proof. Here it is. Yeah. Now do you believe us? You know, these sorts of studies are often just like validating and that, you know, validating is an important part of solving problems, as any preschool teacher will tell you. <laughs> um, but what's next? What does this actually mean? What does this actually look like? Is it going to stop construction of a luxury housing unit at the location of El Asadero? Probably not. Is it going to force Eastsiders to accept missing middle housing and condo developments on the East Bench? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Well, some, some Lake, hints to you know. what's next. Um, mm -hmm. So like I mentioned, this was just the first phase of the study. In phase two, that's where they're going to determine what kind of action to take. And they have outlined mm -hmm. some guiding principles like increasing lots of different kinds of housing options everywhere in the city, but also protecting renters who are already living in affordable homes. And I think that that is a really key piece of this. So that is important, you know, an ongoing struggle with affordable housing and displacement and, and gentrification in our city. But uh, at least hopefully this means we'll be on the right path. Yeah. And now we've got some data. It's not just vibes. Not just vibes. Yes. Not just vibes. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Okay, I feel like you undermine a, a topic transition when you like point it out, but how's this for you? Lay it speaking, on me. <laughs> speaking of cutthroat markets, hey. <laughs> the DNR is treating the water in the high Uintas to help restore the native Colorado River cutthroat trout population. Wow, wow, so wow. So that's a good cutthroat market. <laughs> Unless okay, you're a I'll brook like, trout, down. because <laughs> if you're a brook trout, you're going to die. Um, basically what's happening, this is like a little bit like, 
I feel like the ticker across the screen for this one is like angler news, breaking angler news. <laughs> but if you are an avid fisher person, you know that cutthroat trout have seen really dramatic population declines in the West due to habitat loss. Of course, when these rivers get low, 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 the water gets hot, 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 and that makes it hard for them to survive. Um, they're getting competition from non-native trout like brook trout. So the DWR sent us a presser letting us know that they're going to be using rhodonone treatments to remove brook and rainbow trout from the high Uinta streams. And rhodonone is actually, this is interesting to me, it's a natural extract from a tropical bean plant, a natural toxin that is used to remove fish populations from certain rivers and streams. What I think is interesting about the use of rhodonone is that it was used by indigenous peoples in South America and the Southeast. And so it's always great to see indigenous wisdom being used by these kinds of institutions to solve problems in our environment. Allie, are you an avid fisher person? Because you sound like one. <laughs> I'm not avid, but I do like to fly fish. Oh. I've got a setup. I sometimes go out. Some days on the river are great. Well, I should say this. Some days on the river, I'm a successful angler. And some days on the river, I get wrapped in my own fishing line. But none of those days are bad days. <laughs> so if you see Allie tangled in some fishing line, uh, uh -huh. don't help her. She's, she's just working some stuff out. <laughs> That's right. I'm having fun. This is interesting to me because the, of course, natural reaction is to be like, why are we killing brook trout? Why are we getting rid of rainbow trout? Well, if we don't, biologists predict that cutthroat trout will be completely replaced by brook trout in less than 20 years. So they're clearing out the streams and the high Uintas. They're going to restock them with cutthroat. What this means for you, if you're an angler, is that some of those favorite streams, alpine streams, could be closed in early August, which is always a great time to get up there. So just be sure and check the Fish Utah app and make sure that your favorite spot is open to you. I love some news we can use, Allie. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. <laughs> okay, Emily, can you end us on like just some a super light note here? What's super good news? Okay, do you love kitties and puppies? I love puppies. Okay, fine. Agree <laughs> to disagree. Um, good news, Best Friends is waiving adoption fees at all their locations for the weekend, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Best Friends is where I got my sweet baby kitty momo Aww. he is the light of my life and <laughs> i would recommend to anyone who is looking for a cat or a dog to hit up best friends yeah there you and go. if you adopt from them your dog or cat will be vaxxed they will be spayed or neutered they're like good to go ready to bring home the only thing i would say is you know as a dog owner they're a little bit more work than cats so you know, sometimes you like dog sit or you visit a friend and you think you want a dog. And I would just say, just remember that it is quite a big responsibility and they can't be returned. I so think that's really, really important to note, Allie, because the shelters here in Salt Lake County have been overflowing with people who could not handle their pandemic pets. So mm -hmm. a pet is a commitment. It is a lifetime commitment. And you decide if you're ready for it. But, uh, you know, if you adopt from one of these shelters, give that pet your all. That's right. That's right. Emily, thank you. That is delightful. It's been great spending this time with you. We made it through the week and we're headed into a weekend. And I know you're going on a trip. 
So we'll see you mid next week when you get home. I hope that your travels are safe. I'm going to light candles for you and do all sorts of rituals in hopes of no flight delays. Thank you. I really need that. And I'm looking forward to next week's news, Allie. (laughs) Likewise. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our lead producer is Emily Means. Our producers are Nick Steffens and Diane Magipinto. Our newsletter editor is Terina Ria. And our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by the fantastic local band, Mitochondria. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Have a great weekend. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just dying at you saying I'm looking forward to next week's. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's good. <laughs>